Our second reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4. I will be reading verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, I ask that we would appreciate your majesty, that we would understand your surpassing greatness, that we would understand that you are the maker of heaven and earth, that you were before there was a universe and that you will be here when you make a new universe. I pray that we would not come into your presence lightly or carelessly, thoughtlessly. I pray that we would take seriously this appointment that we have with you this day. Father God, I pray that you would cause us to set apart this time from all ordinary time, that this hour spent here would be a Sabbath, that it would be consecrated, that it would be set aside, that it would be holy, that it would not just be another thing on our schedule, our busy schedule. Lord, all week long we have run from one thing to another. And all week long we have been working in the world that is passing away. We've been accumulating treasure that will pass away. We pray that for this hour that our eyes would be focused on you and on your eternal kingdom. We pray that for this hour that we would loosen our attachment to this world and to things that don't count in eternity. I pray that you would give us a larger vision of yourself. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be a part of something that will outlive this universe. We marvel at what we see with the telescopes, the 
galaxies and the stars and the black holes. But yet all of those things are passing away. And you have invited us into something that's permanent. I pray that we would prioritize our time appropriately in light of this truth. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that you would give us eyes of eternity as well. For the world is preaching to us 24-7 in a million different channels. The world is telling us what to think and what to believe. It changes its opinion from week to week and year to year. Why we take it seriously, I don't know. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on eternal truth and not be so captivated by passing fashions and fancies. Lord, your scriptures say that you have embedded in our hearts eternity. And if we were to live this life in the froth of ever-changing fashion, ever-changing opinion, that we suffer a soul hunger for things which are deeper and truer and more permanent. Lord, we confess that we have been stuffing ourselves with the cotton candy of this world I pray that you would give us real appetites for things that are meaty and true. Things that will sustain us in this life and in the life to come. Almighty God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord Jesus, you are the word of God who spoke this world into existence, who redeemed this world by your own shed blood. You will be the judge that we face at the end of time. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears my voice this morning might be found in you. And for those who are still sitting on the fence or for those who are outside, Lord, I pray that you would convict them of their need to make a decision to own Jesus as their Lord, in whom alone there is salvation. There is no other name given under heaven whereby which we must be saved. Lord Jesus, you promise that wherever two or more are gathered in your name that you would be present and so we welcome you here in Huntington Valley. We pray that your spirit would be with us and on us and between us this morning. We pray that you would be honored and glorified by the worship that we offer you this morning. Lord, if our hearts had arrived here unprepared to worship you, I pray that you would get us ready. You alone are worthy. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the Creator and the Lawgiver and the Redeemer. So we worship you this day, and we offer this prayer in your name. Amen, amen, amen. I want to invite Elder Cynthia Cornish 
to come forward and to talk to us a little bit about what God has been doing in her life. Okay, uh, I'm Cynthia Cornish, just a sinner saved by grace, and I love the Lord. I want to share a little, just a little, about how being born again has changed my life and my outlook of life. As a young person, I had a very pessimistic view, point of life. I had great parents, very close family. But as a young person and losing some, so many of my close members that I love so much, I decided to guard my heart with a very negative outlook of life. And basically, I think I was angry with God from losing so many that I depended on all the time. Not really expecting any good or even seeing any good in people. I really didn't. I didn't think anybody was whatever. <laughs> I went to Sunday school. I went to church. But it didn't seem like any of that was speaking to me. That's because I didn't have a relationship with Christ. Once I accepted Christ as my Savior, my world changed. My thinking changed. My attitude changed. I truly became an optimistic person and have been running for Christ ever since. People's Listen to me, people. Listen to me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Nothing else really matters. Guard your heart and mind from negativity. Concentrate on the love of Christ and how much he loves you. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I wasn't here last weekend. I was out on the West Coast attending a family funeral, so I, I missed a lot of good stuff. Uh, I, I kind of regret that I wasn't here for the fall festival. I heard that it was tremendous. I think we had our greatest crowd uh, ever. I was very um, happy to hear the reports of it. I think it was a good example also of how we are working very well cooperatively with a Fellowship Presbyterian Church, the church that's growing up uh, inside here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. People from the community were present there. People had a lot of fun. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people that uh, were responsible for making that happen. John Haynes was kind of the genius and the driver behind it this year, but there were many people who also uh, were helping out. Uh, Pastor Bruno, was Pastor Bruno on the barbecue pit? Yeah, I missed out, you know, and I heard it was great. I feel, I feel, a, little, uh, I feel a little bad about that. Steve Quinter was there in his tractor. I think he made about 100 rounds in his tractor. Uh, thank God for, for him and for that tractor. If you have pictures from the fall festivals, send them to me. I want to see more because I kind of missed out. I saw a couple. They were nice, but... Um, uh, I want to see more. 
This past week, we also had a very important meeting uh, of the session. Um, a couple of things that happened at the session meeting that I want you to know about. Uh, first of all, we talked a lot about the way forward in 2023. We've talked uh, internally here before about how we stumbled as a congregation uh, in 2018 by not taking a necessary step forward with our children's ministry. Um, that caused some trouble in this congregation. Then in uh, 2020, we got slammed uh, with the COVID, uh, which has been traumatic for the whole country. Uh, the killing of George Floyd was traumatic for us. It was traumatic for uh, the whole country. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, we, like many uh, churches, have been feeling kind of uh, exhausted and brutalized uh, by uh, all of these things that have happened, particularly by the, by the strife that was caused uh, politically uh, by these things. In some sense, I feel like, uh, you know, a hurricane has passed over uh, the American church. There's been devastation. In the very first weeks of the COVID uh, crisis, I said that uh, the COVID was the, was the perfect way to destroy the, the American church. If, if you were Satan and you wanted to invent a way to destroy the American church, create a virus that didn't allow people to come together. Uh, and, and it has been devastating. The figures uh, that we're seeing of the decline in church attendance uh, as a result of COVID are alarming. Uh, on the order of 40% is what we're seeing across the United States. Uh, I, there are, were many millions who died from the virus. I'm actually more concerned about the millions who are being lost to an eternity in hell because of our response to COVID and because of the unwillingness of people to be uh, taking part in the means of grace. So we talked a lot about that. We also talked about the way forward being the way that we had been moving forward. The first 13 years that I was here, we had incremental growth each year, modest growth, a little bit of growth, but we were moving in the right direction. Church was getting a little bit younger and a little bit larger every year. We were looking more and more like our community. And it hadn't really happened magically. Uh, it had happened really by doing two things. We focused on the quality of the service, uh, and we focused on uh, our children's programming. We wanted the services to be a quality experience, solid, biblical, joyful, grace-filled, welcoming, uh, and we worked to do that uh, with both of our services. We also uh, worked on our children's ministry when families with children arrive at the church, the program needs to be in place for them at that point. When I arrived uh, at this church, our um, nursery was down in the basement next to the boiler room. It was the least valuable piece of real estate on our entire campus, and it signaled to families, this is how important we think your kids are. And so one of the first things we did was bring it up out of the dungeon and put it uh, in a more visible place. In 2018, we were moving toward a more ambitious uh, uh, changing of our campus to accommodate the growing uh, children's ministry, and, and we stumbled at that moment. We're going to refocus on these two things in this church in 2018. We're going to continue to work on the quality of our, of our uh, worship services, uh, and we're going to focus again on our children's ministry. When people arrive here, 
with their children, we need to be ready for them. And we will be ready for them because we get no second chance. If you come with your child and there's not a program available for them, we don't come back a second time. To grow the church requires that we have a constant stream of new families with children coming into the church. And we're going to be focused on these things uh, in the year ahead. We need to be flexible and adaptable. One of the things that uh, uh, ties churches up and creates strife within the church is when conditions change, churches don't want to change. When the environments change, the church doesn't want to adapt, uh, and as a result, they put themselves out of business. And so we are going to be flexible, we're going to be adaptable, and we're going to continue to move uh, this uh, church forward. So we had this little bit of a conversation um, uh, uh, at, the, at the session uh, this past week. Some of you were uh, at the Presbytery meeting uh, recently, and uh, Stefan Bomberger, who's the, the pastor at, Man- at Manoa Church, some of you know him, we know him because he was part of the committee that uh, put us in touch uh, with Pastor Bruno and his church. An interesting as, thing has happened at Manoa Church in the last four years. That church went from being really on its deathbed to now being one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Nothing magical, but they focused on the two things that I've just mentioned, quality of the worship and on their children's programming. We can do the same thing. We can turn this thing around, and we're going to do that uh, in this coming year. That was uh, part of what we talked about on the session uh, this past week. The other thing which happened at the session meeting this past week is we uh, received 51 new members. Um, You know that Fellowship Presbyterian Church is in the process of becoming an EPC church. They're not actually a church yet. We talk about them being Fellowship Presbyterian Church. They're not yet an EPC congregation, but we are getting all of the building blocks in place. Um, And one of the pieces of that is bringing Uh, the people who are participating in that church in as members uh, and then when the time comes for them to uh, uh, form a separate congregation they will then be transferred over there. So when we had, uh, I don't know, I guess it was a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, we had 14 baptisms here. The baptisms that were believers' baptisms uh, under Presbyterian law, they automatically become members of this church um, and so then we, we've added to that another, another, 51, another 51 members. So we were very uh, excited to see that happen, another important step, uh, both in the development of Fellowship Presbyterian Church, but also in the development of our partnership uh, with them. Um, in, the, in the months and the years ahead, uh, the, our two congregations are going to be cooperating Uh, on a lot of things. Um, We saw the cooperation uh, on the fall festival, uh, but we are going to be cooperating uh, with them uh, in in more and more ways. As you know, there's an English language service at 5 o'clock here every evening, then the Portuguese language service uh, is at 6 o'clock. The other thing which the session uh, did this past week was decided that uh, for the four weeks of Advent, And for Christmas, we're going to have a combined uh, worship service. So we're going to bring the people from the late service uh, into this service as well. The service is going to begin at 1045 and run till noon. Okay, so put that on your calendar. Uh, 
I guess the first week of Advent's the last week of November. We will, uh, you'll have to get up a little later uh, in, the, in the morning to come to that service, uh, but we will have one joint service uh, beginning at 1045 till 12. Sunday school will be before. Sunday school will begin at 1030. Uh, I'm sorry, at 9.30 and run to 10.30. So it will be a time for us to get together, which we like to do. It will be a time for us to see each other. Uh, uh, Advent and Christmas, of course, are times when we share our traditions uh, in a multi-generational kind of way. And so it's very fitting that we'll be together uh, for uh, for those five weeks. I think when the session was talking about it, because the session has talked about uh, uh, whether or not we should have one service or two services a number of times uh, through the years, I think what the selling point was this time around was that we would be able to do a better job of having a quality service uh, on a Sunday morning, that the people who would come to the service would be well served, uh, and that God uh, would be honored uh, in, in that service. And so... I'm looking forward to that. We're uh, working with the choir and, and uh, with the band and trying to figure out what that service is going to look like. I think it's going to be kind of busy, kind of noisy. Uh, you'll have to maybe come a little early to get a seat. Um, I'm hoping that some people sit in the transepts, okay? Uh, you probably are sitting in somebody's pew. We'll, we'll, work, we'll work all of those things out. The other thing uh, that has happened this past week is the nominating committee seems to have wrapped up their work, if I understand correctly. Uh, I, I sent them a list of my dream team, uh, and I know that they've been working, they've contacted a number of you. Actually, one of the problems that they have, and we're going to have to figure out on the session how to deal with this, is that they got, they got too many uh, nominees for... Uh, one of the offices. So I was like, we actually have this, so we're going to talk on session. What, what do we do when we have too many people who are coming forward? So uh, there will be a congregational meeting on November 15. That's when we will elect our new officers, our new uh, elders, and our new deacons. So be sure to come to the congregational meeting. That will happen, I think, at 1230 November 15th is, or November 13th is also the day when we are going to install uh, Pastor Bruno as an assistant pastor in Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. That's going to be an evening service, okay? That'll happen uh, at, I think, at 5 o'clock in the evening. It'll happen right here. Um, uh, That's a service of presbytery, so there'll be representatives from presbytery who will be there. Uh, All of the Brazilian church will be here, uh, and both of uh, our English language services will be here as well. So it's going to be a big and large and fun service. So I I want you to put that on your slate too, okay? So what I'm looking forward to in 2023 is uh, having really the strongest possible session. I'm looking forward to having uh, a core of very committed elders who are flexible and adaptable, who are uh, in good communion with each other, uh, who have a vision of regrowing this church uh, in the years ahead, who are not selfish or demanding about their own point of view, who are uh, able to work with other people across the aisle. 
Um, and I think that God is going, to, is going to deliver that. From what I've seen uh, from the nominating committee, it looks like we've got a, a very good session coming uh, this year ahead. So those are some of the things that are uh, going on. So this morning's passage, I want to talk about in a, in a kind of a philosophical way. You know, before I became a pastor, I used to teach philosophy in a Catholic college for a lot of years. And during the time when I was in graduate school, the fashionable philosophy was called postmodernism. Maybe you've heard about postmodernism, but postmodernism um, is, uh, mm, it's, it's the idea that any truth is true or that there's no truth with a capital T or that there's your truth and there's my truth and there's white truth and there's black truth and there's straight truth and there's queer truth and there's western truth and there's and there's and there's non-western truth postmodernism any in a sense anything goes the spirit of postmodernism I think is actually a kind of virulent version of classical liberalism. Now, by classical liberalism, I mean the liberalism of Thomas Jefferson. This is the liberalism of freedom of speech, of privacy rights, the liberalism that's the opposite of totalitarianism. Totalitarianism says, you must agree with me or I'll send you off to a gulag or I'll deplatform you. Okay? Classical liberalism is about letting people be who they are and letting them speak their minds. I think in some sense postmodernism is a virulent version of classical liberalism. Here's what I think happened. If there is no room for you in the narrative that's going on, if there's no room for you in the institution that you're trying to get into, the incentive is to just blow up the whole institution. I don't see people like me in the institution, therefore I'm going to tear down the institution. I don't see people like me being reflected in the literature of the day, therefore I'm going to tear down all literature of the day. All right. Now, there's a certain danger in that, in that you, you eliminate the structures that are uh, in place. And then we get into a situation of, well... If we say that there, if any truth is true or that your truth is no truer than my true, we're, we're in a situation where we can't, we can't, we don't know how to act or we don't know how to behave or we don't know what to decide. There's a situation that can arise where we are paralyzed and unable to hang together as a community. Communities hang together because they share common values. If you remember the beginning of John's letter, which we've been working through now all of these weeks, he identifies the unity of the church in the teaching of the apostles. The reason that the church is unified is that it teaches one message, and it teaches what the apostles taught. Well, the apostles were trained by Jesus, and then the apostles uh, went out into the world, and they were missionaries, and they trained other people, and we are one people in Christ because uh, that we share a common faith and a common tradition. 
I think sometimes we have this situation where we don't like the outcome of a claim to truth, and so we reject the person who is making the claim. If this test or this standard or this principle does not tell me that I am right or that I am beautiful or that I am entitled, then I reject the test and I reject the standard or I reject the principle. If this referee doesn't make calls in my favor, then he must be a bad referee. If this teacher doesn't give me an A on my assignment, then she must be a bad teacher. If these journalists don't agree with my program, then they are involved in fake news. If this election says I didn't win, then the election must be rigged. If this cop says I was doing something that's wrong, he must be crooked. And if the Bible says that I'm a sinner because of the way I'm living, then the Bible must be false. Okay, this is the danger of postmodernism. In postmodernism, there actually is a standard of truth, and it's always me, 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 me. I refuse to allow myself to be judged by any external standard. I say that any external standard that doesn't affirm me must be false, must be untrue. It's a very, very dangerous path to go down. All of us need people in our lives who can look at us and talk to us truly about what's going on in our lives. We don't want to be in a situation where we are only surrounded by yes men. Think about the fragility of, of the Russian government right now. You have, a, you have a dictator who's surrounded by people who always have to agree with him. They cannot give him good counsel. They cannot tell him what he doesn't want to hear because he's already rejected it. It's a very dangerous position to be in. We don't want to be in that position. We need friends who love us and can tell us the truth about ourselves. The real friend is the one who tells you that your fly is down. Nobody wants to hear the awkward truth, but we need to hear the awkward truth, right? So if the only standard of truth in postmodernism is me, if anything that makes me look good or makes me feel good about myself or makes me rich or lets me do what I want to do, well, in a sense, that tells me that every child born into this world is born a postmodernist. Have you ever noticed that children are real sticklers for the rule? They always know when someone else has broken the rule, but somehow they never notice when they break the rule. They don't want anybody taking their toys, but they, sure, but they don't mind taking someone else's toys because that's a special case. All right? All of us, by nature, by fallen nature, are postmodernists. Because postmodernism is just another word for selfishness. It is not good and it is not safe for us to live in this kind of world. There are people who grow up 
chronologically who get older but who never leave childhood. They're called criminals. They're called Karens. They're called sociopaths. Okay? We don't want to be those people. All right? As we grow up, we develop the resilience of character that we can be corrected by other people speaking into our lives. Now, there is also the psychological phenomenon of biases. There's been a lot of talk about bias in the media, but there's also there are psychological biases. One of them that you may have heard talked about quite a bit is what we call confirmation bias where there's just something about our brains that it's wired a certain way that we always notice examples that agree with what we already believe. Okay? Every time I see an example, I mean, I don't know, Presbyterian, I believe that Presbyterians are obnoxious drivers. Okay? And then every time I see an example of Presbyterians being obnoxious drivers, I go, aha, you see? But I fail to notice all the cases that go in the other direction. We call that confirmation bias. There's also a bias, I call it the Lake Wobegon bias. You remember Garrison Keillor's town, Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average. There have been scientific studies done. Most people think they are better than average drivers. Now, those of you who understand mathematics know that this isn't possible. We can't all be above average, all right? But we always see ourselves uh, in that light. In that light. Uh, I've also uh, uh, saw studies that show that Americans think that, uh, you know, the public schools are going to hell in a handbasket, except their own school. Well, that doesn't make sense either, mathematically. So there are biases um, that are built, I think, into how the brain works. But there is also this spirit of a distrust of truth that has been going on philosophically for a number of years in the broader culture, but that has become more intensified uh, in recent years. Well, let me say this. There is truth with a capital T, and we are capable of knowing the truth. And God is the arbiter of truth. And God's word is true now and forevermore. The scriptures say that people are like grass, and the grass is going to wither, and it's going to pass away like the fashions of the world, but the word of God will stand forever. John, in this section of the letter that we read this morning, is dealing with a situation where there are false prophets who are speaking in the church. Now remember that John is writing at a time before the New Testament canon has been completed. Okay, John, John's, uh, the people that John uh, is writing to don't have the whole Bible yet. It's not been written, Okay. And so what we find here in John, John is dealing with this question of how is it that we discover whether or not a prophet is true or a prophet is false. Today, the way that we discover whether or not a prophet is true or a prophet is false is that prophet, is that preacher saying what's in the scriptures? Or has he got some new theory about 
how things are supposed to be. All right? Now, John is dealing with a situation where the, the New Testament scriptures aren't completed yet, and so he offers a standard, and it's one standard here. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. All right? So this is a particular theological problem that was happening at the time. There were some people who were, argue, who were saying that, you know, Jesus was just a spirit, but he didn't have a real body. Okay, he was like a ghost. And that he used the body kind of like as a puppet. All right? It's a complicated issue. It takes a while for the church to figure this out. But John is putting his finger on this doctrine here. So to, to, know, to know the truth about Christ is to know that he's in fact come in the flesh. Well, that's what the apostles had taught from the very beginning. That's what we're going to see later being written in the Gospels. Okay? The Gospels are not the first thing that were written in the New Testament. Okay? They actually come later. And so in the, in the Gospels, we have very clear that Jesus is the Son of God, he's fully God, but that he also has a real body. Okay, he, was, he was born of a virgin, you know, he grew up, and he physically died on a cross, that, that he was a truly flesh and, that he was flesh and blood. So what John is saying here is, is that the standard of whether or not someone is a true prophet or a false prophet, is that they are agreeing with what the apostles had taught already. This is one of the points uh, of what the apostles taught, that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh from God. We as moderns, uh, you know, we have the advantage that we have the whole scripture available to us, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when we take a look at people who are speaking and saying that they're speaking for God, we need to be constantly judging what they say against what the scriptures say. Okay? What comes out of this pulpit should not be new and novel. God is not revealing himself in a new way today that he didn't reveal himself in the past. Everything that we say here would need to agree with what the church had taught in the past and what the scriptures have taught uh, originally. We are not coming up with a new doctrine because it's a new day. All right? So John's principle here is, is that the, the standard of truth is what was taught by the apostles from the very beginning. In the course of the history of the church, there have been different uh, times when uh, the church has formed uh, what we call creeds or creedal statements to try to condense or to crystallize the core teaching. Obviously, the Bible teaches a lot of things, but there are some uh, core teachings that are absolutely essential. The earliest of these uh, creeds, of course, is the Apostles' Creed. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you to, why don't you pull out your red hymnals right now, and in the front of your red hymnals, you're going to see the Apostles' Creed. This is a statement uh, from the church of what it is they understand the scriptures to have taught. Why don't we just affirm this right now? Please stand and join with me as we confess what it is that we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let's stand together. Let's sing Ancient of Days.
continue our worship with singing, Be Thou My Vision.
closing song this morning. It's called Promises.